You're listening to the Aquatic Wetline, a tropical fish-keeping podcast hosted by 23-year-old fish keeper, Aqua Alex Cardinal. For three years, we provided you with quality tropical fish information, and we'll continue providing some information on freshwater and saltwater tropical fish. Let's dive down deep into the aquarium and chat fish. Live from his fish room is Aqua Alex. Aquatic Wetline is now live. Fish Mania will feature three wonderful fish-keeping guests, 
and some awesome tropical fish chat. Now here's the agenda for the very first tropical fish mania to debut here on Aquatic Wetline. I'm going to reveal the prizes for next Saturday's Aquatic Wetline Trivia Game debut. What prizes will be given away on April 15th? What can the two winners of the trivia game win next Saturday? I'll discuss what our sponsor is all about, and I'll tell you what yourfishstore.com is all about and why they make a difference to the aquarium hobby. And I want you guys to find out about why they are a wonderful sponsor, and I'm going to tell you guys why their fish food is awesome and why I personally recommend it. And then for all my aquatic freaks out there, a lot of you have requested a discussion on Glowfish Chat. So tonight I'm going to discuss Glowfish, and I'm going to answer the controversial questions, and I'm going to talk about the impact that Glowfish have on the aquarium hobby. And then there's going to be a Battle of the Fish, which is going to be a WWE-themed fish fight chat. So basically it's going to be like a fish match where I'm going to pit fish against other fish based on their aggression levels all throughout the show. And there's going to be a total of five rounds with the first four rounds determining who's going to make it to the final round which will be a fatal four-way elimination match, but we'll talk about that when the time comes. And the winner of the, of the fatal four-way main event will become the very first Tropical Fish Mania Fish Champion. Now, we have some amazing guests tonight. Um, we have some awesome fish-keeping superstars who are going to be on the show today. First, we have School of Fish, Inc. store manager, Christopher Bones, or excuse me, Christopher Bonez. Um, he's a wonderful fish keeper. He's very passionate about the aquarium hobby, and he does a great job as an employee for my local fish store, School of Fish Inc. So he's going to be here tonight to talk to you guys about what it's like to work at a fish store. And then a topic that a lot of you have requested for a couple of years now, we're going to have a Epistogramma cichlid lover on the show to talk to you about Epistogrammas because I know nothing about them, and I also want to learn about them. So William Garden will be here to chat with us about Epistogramma cichlids for the first time ever on Aquatic Wetline. So just like you, my listeners, I look forward to learning about Epistogramma cichlids. Now, we were supposed to have a third guest, but our third guest couldn't make it tonight. So, therefore, I have come up with an amazing segment to take his place. For the first time ever, you'll get to hear me being interviewed on another famous fish-keeping podcast called Aquarimax. Fish Keepers, earlier today, I invited you to join the mania. Did you? If you did, call in live at 1-347-989-8142 during the show to talk about some fish you bought or aquarium equipment you got. All right, fish keepers, let the mania begin. And we're going to start this historic show, and I'm going to talk about some fish that I got last weekend. I wasn't able to go out this weekend, otherwise I would have gone and got some fish this weekend, but I've been in a fish mania for two weekends in a row, I guess you can say. But anyway, 
Uh, I got some new fish for this show, and I got two saltwater fish and one freshwater fish. Now on the saltwater side, I've got a rabbit fish, which is in time for Easter, believe it or not. And it's actually a decorated rabbit fish, or you you may may also know it as a blue-lined rabbit fish. But it's a very nice fish, similar to the fox-faced rabbit, but it's just a regular rabbit fish with a nice black stripe uh, running down the face that is decorated with a little blue line, a lot of nice yellow and blue coloration. And I've actually been looking for a rabbit fish for quite a long time, and I happened to go into the fish store because I needed to get some salt and other stuff, and I didn't have any intentions on coming home with a saltwater fish. But I saw that rabbit fish, and me wanting one for a while, I got him. And then I also got a uh, Melanoris wrasse, and he's doing very well. He hit for the first day, but he's out and active now. And on the freshwater side, I just got a uh, wide bar silver dollar, also known as Miley Strombaki. So those are some of the new fish that I got to join the fish keeping mania. So listeners, if you have any new fish, please go ahead and call in at one three four seven nine eight nine eight one four two to discuss the fish that you bought. For the fish mania. All right, so now I'd like to take the time to uh, talk about my sponsor, yourfishstuff.com, and I really, really like yourfishstuff.com because they support my podcast. Um, not a lot of people have supported me, especially not many businesses. I do have a lot of fish keepers that support me. But I'm very grateful and thankful that I actually have a uh, fish business that has quality products supporting a quality podcast. So for that, I'll be forever thankful. But I'm a big advocate for YourFishStuff.com, not only because they support me, but they have awesome fish food. I mean, I can vouch for their fish food, but really, I'm not the one that does the talking for the fish food. The actual fish will do the talking when they enjoy the fish food. But anyway, I'm going to talk about my experience with YourFishStuff.com, and I'll get into all the details that may or may not wean you into going to YourFishStuff.com, and I certainly hope that it will uh, help you make your decision and buy from yourfishstuff.com because you're going to like it. So, in my experience, I've been using yourfishstuff.com since December of 2016, and I really enjoy it. It's really uh, one of the best foods that I feed to my fish. I think right now it's the only brand of food that I use, and everything in my aquariums eat it, and I feed freshwater and saltwater, so uh, all of those foods are well-received in my aquariums. I have uh, freeze-dried brine shrimp. I have uh, brine shrimp flakes. I have black worm sticks, black worm flakes. I have perlina flakes for my fox faces and all the vegetarian fish I have. Um, I have earthworm flakes, and I also have a bag of marine pellets left. So 
A wide variety of the dry foods that I feed my fish are from yourfishstuff.com, and I feed them twice a day with those foods. I vary the foods each day. And I have to say, there is not one fish that does not eat anything from yourfishstuff.com. And I, I have some pretty picky eaters. I have a dog-faced puffer that eats pellets. Um, and you won't see that very often from my experience. So I'm thankful that my dog-faced puffer eats pellets. I can say that both of my triggers, my brother's rectangular trigger and my niger trigger, also eat pellets. Um, I even have a snowflake moray eel that is eating the freeze-dried brine shrimp, and that is pretty interesting. And on the freshwater side, I have my severum and all of my silver dollars and catfish eating the food. So I definitely have nothing but positive things to say about yourfishstuff.com. And I have to give a a shout-out to my good friend, Jeffrey Jones, because he is the one that got me hooked on yourfishstuff.com, and it's going to be the only fish food company that I'm going to recommend to fish keepers and beginners because it really is a phenomenal brand of fish food, and it's really cheap, and it's homemade. It's not stored in a huge factory somewhere that's mass-produced. It's actually small batches of homemade quality fish food. So right now I'm going to go ahead and tell you the YourFishStuff.com statement. Fresh quality fish foods sold direct. By selling direct to fellow hobbyists, we are able to offer the finest products at the best value. Too often aquarium hobbyists are left to choose between either high-priced premium fish food brands or low-cost inferior food. Your Fish Stuff is here to provide a better option. Great products at a fair price. So that is the statement from YourFishStuff.com, and I have to agree because the prices are fair and the food is really, really good. Now, don't take my word for it. Simply go to YourFishStuff.com and view all of the products that they have And also, read the other customer reviews and testimonials. I'm going to read a couple of them to you. Best cichlid food on the market. It's a feeding frenzy when using this product. My cichlids look better than they ever did with the expensive big box foods. Customer service is the real thing. They show concern which doesn't exist other places. And that is from a person named Carl. Chuck says, I have had great success with these brine shrimp from yourfishstuff.com. This is my second order of them, and I have been very pleased. My new source for brine shrimp, Chuck, and I'll read one more. I was paying way too much for the store-bought flakes and then found this site, Christine. So So there you can see other fish keepers are also enjoying this brand, And I have to say they're one of the best um, fish food companies out there on the market. So I definitely really recommend uh, yourfishstuff.com. All right, so moving on to our next topic. Now, if you think this Saturday, today's episode of Aquatic Wetline is a historic, awesome debut, 
I've got another awesome show debuting next Saturday, April 15th at 9 p.m. Eastern, and that is the very first aquarium-keeping, fish-keeping online radio show podcast trivia game. And I'm very excited about that because not too many other podcasts in general, like other hobbies, they don't have trivia games, but I'm very excited to do an online fish-keeping trivia game. And I have to give credit where credit is due. I'd like to say thank you to my best friend, Jeremy Stellhorn, for that brilliant idea. Jeremy is filled with a lot of great ideas. And a lot of the shows that take place here on Aquatic Wetline are a brainstorm of one of his awesome ideas. He's a very, very smart man. I'm usually good at um, advertising and creating shows and um, stuff like that. He's good on the marketing side. He's good at coming up with ideas, finding guests, new trends, etc. So for that, I'm very thankful for Jeremy. But anyway, uh, next Saturday, we're going to air our very first episode of Aquatic Wetline Trivia Game. Now, this show is going to be family feud style, and the um, whole show is formed from family feud. I adopted the idea from family feud. I'm going to be asking a question by calling a name of each person, and each person guesses one time each until the question is answered. So there's going to be eight contestants. I'm going to pick one person at a time until all eight have guessed the answers in that category or in that question. And I'm also going to mute all seven of the other contestants' microphone so that they don't hear the answers. That way it's a fair contest and no one can say, hey, I heard it from him. So the first four will win, excuse me, the first four with the highest score will battle it out with the two highest scores walking out as the first two winners. All right, so again, the first four with the highest score will battle it out with the two highest scores walking out as the first two winners. So that's going to be called the segment called the Shark Tank. The Shark Tank is going to feature the final four, and they're going to be going head-to-head. And the final two with the most points will win, and they'll leave the first two Aquatic Wetline Trivia Champions. Now, in the case of a tie, we will go to Sun and Death, and there's going to be two questions, both of them pretty uh, tricky. And whoever wins that will be the first-place winner, and obviously the loser will be the second-place winner. That's in case of a tie which probably won't happen because I don't think the questions are going to be uh, that easy for us to have a tie. All right, so the biggest question surrounding this trivia game I have been getting lately is, is this a real trivia game or is this a scam? Well, I really don't know what to say to that. I don't know why people would think it's a scam. But, no, this is legit. This is real. It's actually really real. And it happens to take place only in the United States of America. So if you're from other countries, say, I understand where you're coming from, but right now it's only available in the United States of America and Canada. But, yes, it is 100% real, and it is sponsored by YourFishStuff.com. They are actually the ones that are providing the major prize. So I have pretty much all the contestants that I need 
I just have uh, one more to go, and I think I'm just waiting confirmation from him. But I have all the contestants, and it's going to be really fun next Saturday. But anyway, here's the prizes for next Saturday's trivia game. The first prize is sponsored by YourFishStuff.com, and you're going to be getting over four pounds of fish food. You're going to be getting the YourFishStuff.com Red Supreme Color Pellets. You're going to be getting the YourFishStuff Perlina Pellets, YourFishStuff Tropical Flakes. You're going to be getting YourFishStuff Black Worm Sticks, and you're also going to be getting YourFishStuff Freeze-Dried Plankton. So that's the first place winner. Now, the second-place winner, that prize is going to be sponsored by Aquatic Wetline and Aqua Alex, and that's going to be a random fish supplies box. This month's prize, I'm going to be giving out some fish supplies and other goodies. All right? So those are your prizes for the April 2017 trivia game, and again, that's next Saturday. Later on in the show, we'll talk more about that as the time... Um, gets closer as you get ready to wrap up the show. I will talk more about next week's trivia game. But I would like to mention all of the contestants that are going to be appearing on the show. There are seven of them. And I'm just going to name them by their first name because I'm not sure if they want to be uh, mentioned yet. So I have Jimmy. I have James. I have Jeffrey. I have Donovan, John, Jason, and David. So I would like to congratulate all seven of them for being the very first seven contestants for the Aquatic Wetline Trivia Game. There's one spot open, one lonely spot. So if you can email aquaticwetline at outlook.com with your name, your uh, fish that you're currently keeping, and your favorite fish, you will win the last spot. You will need to email me by... 10 a.m. tomorrow morning because I'm waiting to hear from one person and she may respond and say she wants the spot. So if you're interested, make sure you email me by 10 a.m. tomorrow morning. So those are the seven contestants, and we're ready to start our trivia game next Saturday. But now we're going to get back to our tropical fish mania because that's what we're here for. So... It's time for our very first Battle of the Fishes. The following four matches will determine the final four tropical fish who will battle it out in the fatal four-way main event to determine who will become the very first aquatic wetline champion and fish of the year. Okay, it's time for the first tropical fish match. Please note that these battles are fictional and have not happened in any aquarium. No animals or fish were ever harmed nor housed together. So, our first battle is Jack Dempsey Cichlid versus Jaguar Cichlid, a.k.a. Pyrochromus Manigwens. Jack Dempsey Cichlid is named after the American heavyweight boxing champion of the world, William Jack Dem Dempsey Harrison, had his heyday in the 1920s. Dempsey remains ranked number seven in the top 100 greatest punchers of all time. And for fish-keeping pioneers, this Central American cichlid must have had many similarities. However, compared to some cichlids now commonly available, 
the Jack Dempsey has dropped down the ratings. It has kept more for its coloration now than its ferocious behavior. It's mild aggressive, but nothing very serious and can live well with other fish. And his opponent, the Parachromus Jaguar. This is a big cichlid syndrome. It will see smaller fish as food. It can be very aggressive when breeding, and they're always territorial. Males can even be aggressive towards any female managuants, and they can kill the female managuants if the female doesn't want to breed when the male does. Adequate cover in the aquarium can help disperse this aggression. However, uh, jaguar cichlids should only be kept one per aquarium, and they usually can kill other fish that are not as aggressive as them. They fare well other aggressive fish, so you can keep them with red devils and stuff, but uh, you never know. You may get one that kills everything. So, the match begins. By God, they're locking jaws. The Jaguar has the Jack Dempsey retreating in the corner. Look out, the Jaguar is beating him senseless with those wild bites on the tail. You've got to be kidding me. He's broken in half. He said he's dead. That killed him. The famous quote from uh, Jim Ross, I'm sure you guys all know him. But yes, in reality, a Parachromus Jaguar would probably defeat a Jack Dempsey. So the winner of the first round is Parachromus Jaguar. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we have a very special, fun segment right here, right now, on Tropical Fish Mania. I just have one question for you. But I just got to know one thing. Are you ready? I said, are you ready? It's time for our first guest here on Tropical Fish Mania. I am lucky to have a local fish store that I really enjoy, about maybe 8 to 12 minutes away from my house, if that. I have been shopping at this local fish store for many, many years, well over a decade. I started fish keeping at the age of 12 years old, as many of you, my loyal listeners, know. This fish store is uh, School of Fish, Inc., right here in Springfield, Massachusetts. And in case I have any of my Western Massachusetts or Massachusetts or even New England listeners listening into our show, you can check out School of Fish, Inc. at 1865 Page Boulevard in Springfield, Massachusetts, and their phone number is 413-543-1994. Fish Keepers, I am honored and privileged that tonight I get to interview the manager of School of Fish, Inc. He is one of the best employees I have ever met in any of the stores I go to, whether it's a local fish store or any store in general. He has a great personality and a great customer service skills. Fish Keepers, join me as we welcome School of Fish Chic Manager Christopher Bonas to the Aquatic Wetline for the first time. Chris, how are you today, sir? 
I, I, I'm doing pretty good. Um, thank you. I, I really appreciate your kind words. That was actually really nice. You're welcome. I really enjoy going to see you in the store. You're a very nice guy. Thank you for taking the time that. to be here tonight. Oh, no problem. Um, anything to anything to help out, really. All right, sounds good. So uh, when did you first begin working at School of Fish? I actually got the job, um, I think, three days after he had opened seven years ago. When oh, nice. So that was a long over. time ago. Yeah, it was right after he had um, got the store and turned it from James's Tropical, and he kind of hired me on the spot. <laughs> Oh, nice. That's always cool. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. What made you want to work at a fish store? Well, I've always had fish as long as I could remember. And one day I just went in there when I saw the sign saying under new ownership, I just walked in and started talking about all the fish that I've had or what I wanted to have. And the guy behind the register said, oh, you know a lot about fish. Do you want a job? I was like, really? And he said, yeah, I'm the owner. So then I just started working, like, the next day. Ah, nice. That's pretty cool. (laughs) So when did you become the manager at School of Fish? Was it right away, or did it take some time? No, it took years. Um, I'm I'm actually not sure if I'm technically the manager now. Um, I just know that whenever the owner isn't there, that I'm in charge. I don't think there's actually been a title given out. It's just it's common knowledge that I'm the one that's in charge when he's not. And that's been something on and off for about four years. Oh, that's cool. You're one of the best employees there. I really enjoy going in to see you, like I said. I appreciate that. You're welcome. So what are your responsibilities at School of Fish? What do you do there? Um, Mainly um, on certain days I open and close the store and check the health of the fish. If anything's sick, I'm the one that's usually in charge of dishing out the medications because if you have too many people, you know, putting medication in the tank, you don't really know what goes in and that's when mistakes happen. So I'm the one in charge of medicating. And then Do you also feed if the Dave's fish not too? there, oh yeah, yeah, that too. And when Dave isn't there, I'm the one to delegate responsibilities. Nice. So you do trainings when Dave's not there, right? I do what? Trainings, like when people bring in fish that they no longer can care for. Oh yeah, yeah. That's cool. I yeah, think I you're the only that. store in this area that does that. Oh, I didn't know that. I think so. I'm not sure, so I could probably be wrong, but I think it is the only store. Hmm. So, oh, go ahead. Sorry for interrupting you. Oh, no, I wasn't going to say anything. I was was waiting for you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So what would you tell a fish keeper who wants to work at their local fish store? 
Um, I think the best advice would be to make yourself available. Um, get to know everybody. Come in as frequent as often as possible, and maybe even volunteer your time so that you know the people can get used to you and it's always a good thing for the owner to see someone that's that interested that they're willing to put in work for free <laughs> but i would say if someone wanted to work there just let them let it be known and show up a lot i think that's actually that's how Griffin got advice. his job Griffin came in a lot and was constantly asking about it. And then when he became of age, he got the job. Oh, nice. Yeah, he's been there for a while now, too, I think. Yeah, um, about four years now. Nice. I'm one of your guys' uh, uh, customer. I go there a lot. <laughs> so uh, my next question for you is, what is one fish that you carry often that are your favorites? You can discuss more than one if you like. Oh, well, I, I I love clowns, and I think it's like a great thing that there's so many different styles of clown or types of clown now, like from like the black onyx, the snowflakes, the da Vinci's, the midnights. There's so many different clowns now, and it's it's actually just really cool. But I think above all, my favorite fish would be the mandarin. They just the way they they swim, how they can hover and go sideways, upside down. It's just like the coolest thing ever, and they're beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And I agree with I you. They, like are, they are gorgeous fish. Yeah, they are, and and anglers are really cool, and like the colored anglers or the frogfish, how they can you know change color. I think that's awesome. Yeah, those are cool, too. I've seen a couple of them there. They're very nice fish. And But I, I know I are mainly named saltwater, but I guess um, freshwater, we haven't had them in a while, but I love clown knives. Oh, nice. Yeah, those are my favorite, too. So those angular fish, are they aggressive? Like, can they live with other stuff? So, um, can you say that one more time? The angler fish, are they aggressive or, or they, can they live with other fish that are too big to be eaten? They can live with other fish that are um, too big to fit into their mouth, but they can fit things into their mouth that are almost the same size as their body. So it's kind of tough. And they do get to like the size of like your fist, so like a like a baseball size. So eventually a lot of the things in your tank will fit in their mouth. So that's just oh, like cool. something so that you approach with caution. They're basically a, they're basically a gorger. <laughs> <laughs> now, personally, why would you recommend someone to come to School of Fish, Inc.? Well, there are a lot of great stores in the area, but then also... I would say it's good for someone to come to School of Fish because if you go to another store in the area and you go to the fish department and ask somebody about a fish, you might be talking to the person that usually deals with hamsters and you just didn't know it. The benefit of going to School of Fish is that 
we are all fish people and the, the the information that we give you is going to be correct because that's all we do and our prices are awesome if they beat everybody else's that's very true especially for equipment so you must get a lot of uh beginners that are entering the hobby that come in right oh yeah every, every week several <laughs> So you must sell a lot of fish tanks. Yeah, we we do fairly well. It's one of my favorite things. Do you to know do, the top a, a new system. Ah, oh, nice. Yeah, you sell a lot of those Red Sea reefer tanks I've seen too. Yeah. Those are pretty cool, actually. Yeah, I actually. Oh, I don't have a reefer, but I have a Red Sea in my living room. Just. Nothing, nothing major. Just one of the smaller ones. I've had that for about six years now. Well, that's cool. So, do you guys carry large tanks often, like one twenty-five and up? We usually do have them available. Since the store um, shrank in size, when the new store opened up next door. We don't have as much storage space, so we'll usually be able to just order it in and have it in within a couple of days, but we don't keep too many in stock. We'll have maybe one 125 in stock at any time, but nothing more than that because we don't really have the space anymore. Oh, that's cool. So you know, off the top of the top of your head, how much uh, one twenty five costs? I think one twenty five with the tank and stand usually goes for about five hundred ninety nine. That's not bad. So I'll definitely come in and get one in June for my uh, upgrade my saltwater tank. Look forward to seeing you then. <laughs> well, I know I'll see you before. Yeah, I get too. <laughs> Yeah, you probably will. <laughs> Actually, I'm coming in today to buy some salt. Yeah, my fish need a, a bigger saltwater tank. I have a couple of puffers and a trigger and stuff, so we'll be getting that 125. That'll be cool. They need the space. Yeah. I'm also lucky enough to have a, a pair of uh, gold stripe maroons that finally paired up after a while. Oh, nice. It took a while and it took a lot of beating on the mail, but they finally paired up. <laughs> <laughs> I almost thought it was never going to happen, but it did. Fish are weird sometimes. Absolutely. Speaking of fish, when did you first enter the fish hobby and what fish were your first fish that you kept? Oh, well, I've probably had fish for. Well, as long as I can remember, I know that I had a tank when I was seven, and it had. Right, whenever one of my parents had the tank, all of their when all their tetras finally died, they said I could pick all the fish to go in it. So I had garamis. I had two of each kind. Not not each kind, but the the regular ones like the gold garami, blue garami, pearl garami, kissing. And the dwarf, I had two of each. And that those were my first fish. Ah, uh, nice. The garamis are actually pretty cool. There's a, a wide variety of garamis 
including one that gets a foot long. Yeah, the giant garami. Those we've had a few of those in the store. They're pretty neat to, to look at. It's weird seeing something that big as a garami. Yeah, they, they seem to be a lot popular now. They have a uh, all different kinds from red tail to albino now. Yeah. They just get too big for most people's aquariums, though. Yeah, we only have a few customers that come to the store that have tanks big enough to, you know, hold um, larger fish. Like, you know, a lot of people have 200 gallons or 125s. I mean, we have a couple customers that have, like, 400-gallon tanks. So there's actually a few people that whenever we get a large fish in at a trade-in, I will call them immediately because... I know that they'll take it. That's awesome. So do you get saltwater trade-ins as much as you get freshwater? Oh, yeah. Um, We get um, both. I'd say, well, freshwater we get a lot more of because usually people are, they'll have a freshwater tank and then they'll decide that they want to switch over to saltwater so they'll bring in their freshwater fish. But then sometimes, occasionally, there are people that just want to get out of the hobby and then they just bring in their saltwater fish. Or they'll just bring it in because it's overly aggressive or they want to just have a new look in their tank. So it happens probably once a week that we'll get a trade-in in. That's awesome. So do they go in a separate systems, or do you put them in the same system as the other fish? Usually I'll try to put them somewhere separate so that I can, like, observe them and, you know, medicate if needed and just, like, make keep an eye on them to make sure that nothing's wrong with them. And if they seem fine after, you know, a week or so, if they're still in the store, then they'll go into the, you know, general population of, you know, whatever type of fish they are. That's awesome. Now, I, I noticed that you guys are having a, a sale tomorrow. That's going to be pretty cool, too. Oh, yeah, we got a huge shipment of fish in. There's a lot to choose from, and there's going to be some really good prices. I haven't been previewed to all of the prices, cause, and I don't think I could even say the prices anyway because I think it's supposed to be a surprise, if if anything. But very, it would be worth going. I will say that. That's awesome. I know I'm going to be in today, so I'll, I'll probably pick up something then. <laughs> <laughs> So, personally, uh, what is your favorite fish in the aquarium hobby that you have kept? I would say, um, well, I've had a mandarin, and I had that mandarin for maybe four years. That was my favorite fish, well, for salt water. It even survived through that storm that we had, like, six years ago where everybody lost power. It survived through the storm, and with no heat or anything. So he was a keeper. And I actually got him to eat. He actually ate pellets, and, you know, that's really hard to get them to do. Yeah, I know. Most of them just live off of um, those, uh, I forgot what they're called. The the pods. Yeah, pods. They just, most of them. There are some that uh, have been known to eat frozen brine shrimp, but I don't know how often that is. I think um, you're more likely to get one of the spotted mandarins to eat the brine shrimp over the blue ones, but I had a blue one. 
those are the nice, uh, the most nicest ones. Yeah, they're still pretty. I know that they have a a red one too, and I know a while ago or ORA was doing some, but I think they stopped doing the mandarins. Well, yeah, I know there was a red one. Um, who was it that stopped doing the mandarins? I think uh, ORA, the the company that does like the clownfish and other stuff. Oh, okay, yeah. And aquaculture. Yeah, the tank, the tank red ones. Yeah, I haven't seen them in a long time. Well, they're usually, since they're tank tank bread and they're such a difficult fish to get to eat, the tank bread ones are usually like three times the price of the regulars. So. That that might be part of the reason. Yeah, they probably weren't selling as many then. Just like with hippo tangs, for a small hippo tang that's tank raised, it's almost ninety dollars. But then for a medium one that's, you know, wild caught is about sixty. So the price jumps up if it's tank raised. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the hippo tanks because a lot of people that are entering the hobby or from uh, Finding Dory and they instantly want a hippo tank, but they're not really suitable for home aquariums unless it's a six-foot tank. Yeah, people, um, even though, you know, I love the Disney movies, it was, like, a great thing that happened to the hobby. Like, since since Finding Nemo came out, there was a big boom in people wanting to have, you know, a tank in their household. But... They they never really think, you know, about how to keep the fish. A lot of people just come in, oh, I want a dory, but they don't know that they are finicky, they get sick easily, they die pretty quickly. Well, not quickly, but if, if they're not taken care of properly, they will just go. And they don't think about how big they actually get. I mean, they get to about, not the like the size of a football almost. <clears throat> I mean, not, not as round, but just basically the that basic shape and size of a football. And people will try to put that in a 30-gallon tank and all because they saw the movie and they want it at home, but that's just not the most responsible thing. That's true. So as far as uh, the health of... Uh... Blue hippo tang. Is it safe to say that the larger the better because the the fish has been used to living in an aquarium for a little while? So is it safe to say to buy a five inch one for uh, best results? Yeah, I, w- I would say that'd be a pretty good observation just to get a get one that's been around longer because hopefully it's going to stick around longer. And you know nice. it's So do you do you carry a larger size hippos from uh, time to time? Yeah, we occasionally we'll get them in. Um, it's been a while since we've had. Uh, I think the biggest we had in was maybe about five six inches. It's been a while since we had one in that size, and I think that was a special order. Usually they'll be around three to four inches for the medium size. Oh, nice. So the next time you get a, a large one, hopefully will be when I have a 125.
And uh, my final question for you is, what is your message to new people or uh, beginners, as they're called, entering the aquarium hobby? Um, the best message or advice I could give is take your time. Because, you know, a lot of people will want to set up a tank and put fish in that same day or that same week. And I've seen it happen. And, you know, if you know what you're doing, it can be done. But for beginners, they don't really know what they're doing right off the bat. So take the time to cycle the tank, get everything right, and add fish in slowly. It's a terrible idea to put 10 fish in at once into your 20-gallon tank. Just, I'd say, take your time and add fish slowly and don't overstock your tank and don't feed too much because that's another thing that people frequently do because on most food um, um, containers for fish, it says feed two to three times a day, but that's only because they want you to use it up faster so you can go buy more. Really, I would only recommend feeding like once every other day or every couple of days. So, yeah, that's, I guess that's pretty much what I had to say to newcomers. Just take your time and go slow. Just be careful with it. Do, it. do things right. Awesome. That's a very, very good message, and I definitely agree with you. Thank you. I want to thank you for uh, coming on the show tonight. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. You're very welcome. Hopefully I'll see you today. I'm going to be going in to get some salt and stuff. Uh, today's my day off. I'll be there Sunday. Oh, okay. Maybe I'll stop by to see you then. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Well, you take care and have a great weekend, and uh, thank you so much for being a part of the very first Aquatic Wetlines Tropical Fish Mania. Thank you. It was, it was an honor for you to have me. You're welcome. You have a good night now. Uh, you too. Take care. All right. That was a fantastic first guest. And I'd like to say thank you to Christopher Bonas for being a fantastic first superstar guest here on the very first Tropical Fish Mania. So it looks like tonight's show is going to go over the two-hour mark. So if you're tuned in live and the show cuts off at 11 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Mountain, and um, 8 p.m. Pacific, have no fear. You can catch the rest of the show as it archives, but hopefully we'll be able to finish everything within two hours. And now we're going to get to keep the ball rolling and keep the very first ever Tropical Fish Mania going. The following four matches will determine the final four Tropical Fish who will battle it out in the fatal four-way main event to determine who will become the very first Aquatic Wetline Champion and Fish of the Year. Jaguar Cichlid defeated the Jack Dempsey, and he is moving on to the Fatal 4-Way main event to crown the very first Aquatic Wetline Tropical Fish Champion and the Fish of the Year. So now we're going to have the final three rounds, 
And here's the second round. Oscar Cichlid versus Convict Cichlid. Convict Cichlids are small, aggressive cichlids growing no more than four to six inches. Despite their small size, they are really aggressive bullies that will kill any community fish and keep peaceful or other semi-aggressive fish as its target. And they will kill any small community fish and uh, semi-aggressive fish. And they do that by pestering, nipping, chasing, and uh, delivering strong blows to the fish. So don't keep them with any semi-aggressive or community fish because they'll be killed. They need to be kept with larger, aggressive stuff, but nothing too big that can eat them. But weighing in at 12 to 16 inches comes the Oscar cichlid, a fish with an appetite that is always hungry and will eat anything it can fit in its mouth, even if it's a lot smaller fish trying to fight this big monster. So even a small fish, a small aggressive fish trying to fight an Oscar will still fall victim to an Oscar as the Oscar will eat and devour the small fish. The match has officially begun. The convict cichlid has headed straight towards the Oscar. He is nipping at the Oscar cichlid. But then the Oscar cichlid turns around and he breaks the convict in half. And then you hear a fish announcer going, By God Almighty, as God is my witness, he has broken in half. The Oscar just took a huge chunk out of the convict, and he is eating him. So here is your winner, the Oscar cichlid. And the Oscar cichlid is moving to the fatal four-way elimination match. And in most likeliness, the Oscar cichlid would defeat a convict cichlid in reality. So, round three, the very first saltwater battle. Battle of the Fish, round three, three-striped uh, three damselfish versus one of my personal favorites, Volantin lionfish. Damsels are a small fish with a large attitude. They can attack tangs, triggers, and other medium-aggressive fish. They also can cause damage to other fish. However, lionfish are aggressive ambush predators with venomous spikes and fins that can cause serious pain to fish and humans alike. The damsel swims out of the coral thinking he is safe, and then wham! The lionfish sucks at the damsel with such force, he is gone. It's gone, it's gone, a fish home run. The winner of this match is the Volantin lionfish. And final, Battle of the Fish round four, Titan Trigger versus Black Rom Piranha. Titan Triggers have been observed being aggressive to other fish who enter their territory. And in the wild, they have been seen being aggressive to divers. The threat posture includes the trigger fish facing the intruder while holding its first dorsal spine erect. It may also roll onto its side, allowing it a better look at the intruder it perceives as threatening its nest. The Titan Trigger will not always bite, but can swim at snorkelers and divers, escorting them out of their territory. The Black Rom Piranha, a very aggressive and territorial freshwater fish, is one of the largest piranhas known in uh, the Amazon in South America. The Black Rom Piranha will kill any other 
piranha that is small and it will kill any other fish that it can sink its teeth into. Need I remind you that the block rom piranha's teeth are very thick and they're very strong. They're so strong that they can actually cut through a piece of meat. So if you were a cheap person and you went out and fished for a black rom and you caught him and you took him home and you cut off his teeth, you could use those teeth to cut meat. All kidding aside, the black rom piranha's teeth is very, very strong. But will it be a match for the much larger, much stronger, bulky fish? And I say stronger when I mean by that it's not teeth, but by pure body weight. Because Titan Triggers can be really big. They can be in excesses of 10 pounds and more once they get really big. And also, they have teeth as well. So, they're going to do battle inside a saltwater ring. So, once the Black Rom enters the saltwater ring, where the Titan Trigger has been accustomed to, the Rom swims around for two minutes looking for the Trigger before he gets lethargic from the salt, and by accident he bumps into the trigger fish. The Titan Trigger then sees the ROM entering his territory and first bumps it, thus stressing the ROM out even more. While the Trigger thinks he is trying to fight back, the Trigger erects his fin and jabs at the ROM and slices his skin. Then he proceeds to bite and kill the Black ROM. Winner by way of knockout, the Titan Trigger fish. So there you have it. There are your four fish that are heading to the Fatal 4-Way Elimination main event to crown the new and first-ever Aquatic Wetlines Tropical Fish Champion. Jaguar Cichlid, Oscar Cichlid, Volantin Lionfish, and Titan Trigger. Now I will say this for anyone out there wondering why this is happening and why I'm doing this. It's kind of silly. Let's please remember that this is fake, fictional, and just for shits and giggles, and laughs and giggles, you can say as well. So this is just something that it's going to happen once a year to add some uh, comedy and excitement, in other words, goofiness, to the aquarium hobby. So find out which of these fish will walk out as the Aquatic Wetline Aquatic Mania Champion later on in the show. All right, guys, it's time for history on the aquatic wetline. 25 of my aquatic freaks over the last four years have asked me to talk about this particular fish. Well, here you go. We have our second guest right here, right now. Woo! All right, fish keepers, get ready. It's time for our second guest. For the first time ever, I'm going to have someone on to talk about Epistogrammas, a favorite dwarf cichlid for all community fish lovers. Now, over the last couple of years, I had a lot of people request um, me to talk about Epistogrammas, but I haven't had the opportunity to keep any Epistos. So I figure tonight we're going to talk about Epistogrammas, but I'm going to have a very special guest to educate me and all of you about Epistogrammas. Now, for those of you who don't know what Epistogrammas are, they are a cichlid from the Amazon, and they are a very colorful dwarf cichlid 
that can live in a community aquarium, and they come in many colorful species. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome William Garden to the show. William loves his epistogrammas, and he is here to tell us all about them. William, how are you? And thank you for joining the show. Hey, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. It's an honor and a privilege to meet you and have you on the show tonight. Oh, it, well, thank you. It's a privilege for me to be here. Awesome. That sounds sounds great. So my first question is going to be, what got you into epistogrammas? Um, actually, I was just looking for something that I could keep in a community tank that had uh, a lot of color and something I had never seen before. Uh, you know, I've been keeping just fish since, you know, I was maybe five years old or so. So I just kind of, I went out and I was like, I'm going to find something new, something I've never heard of and uh, never kept. And I want it for a community aquarium. And uh, that's when I stumbled across uh, triple red cockatoides. Very, very nice. So what should people wanting to get into epistogrammas need to know? Um, one of the main things is you, you, you should pick a good starter episto. Uh, there's, there's a few species just I always recommend to people to start with because they're just very hardy and they don't have very specific requirements. They can breed in a lot of different conditions. And uh, that's going to be cockatoides or uh, they, so their uh, common name is usually cockatoo. And then there's uh, McMasteri and uh, Agazizi, and those are all really good starting epistogramma. Uh, That's very good to hear. So uh, are epistogrammas hard to keep, and how are they compared to the other dwarf cichlids like the German rams, Bolivian rams, and Cribonitsis? Um, Epistos, the, the, the really great thing about epistos is just how many there are. Um, so when you ask something like, are they hard to keep, there is some that are very, very, very difficult, but there's also some that are fairly easy, like the ones I listed earlier. But, you know, you have to know what you're getting yourself into, and it's kind of best to put one toe in the water, so to speak, and start with something a little easy and work your way up. Uh, as far as uh, for uh, comparing them to the others, uh, the Crabensis is a lot more aggressive normally. Um, when they, especially when they spawn, they can get a lot meaner, and uh, that, that that goes for really all West African dwarf cichlids I've kept. They seem to be just meaner in general, especially during spawning time. Uh, compared to rams, I would say they're uh, they're fairly similar, but rams seem to do better in groups than apistos do. Males usually, if you mix males and females, you don't want to have multiple males of epistos together it usually ends poorly and uh rams also they have a tendency to eat their fry a lot which epistos seem to just be much better parents in general oh and also the sexual dimorphism yeah sexual dimorphism between the two sexes is a lot stronger in epistos that that's good to know now can you keep uh rams and epistos together 
Uh, you know, it, it, what it all boils down to is tank size. I usually would not try to mix them with uh, anything unless it, the tank's at least four foot. But my personal preference is to pick one or the other. You know, usually I like to go with one kind of centerpiece for the community tank, which would be one type of dwarf cichlid. And, you know, maybe have a pair or a male and two females or something like that. And then... Uh, you know, and then just have other supporting fish like tetra and other stuff like that. I don't usually prefer to mix. It can work, but it can also end very poorly. So it's kind of a coin toss. Yeah, that's true. So it's 50-50 then. Yep. So what kind of water parameters do uh, pistogrammas require? I heard they're somewhat different than uh, normal tropical fish. Yeah, um, well, that's that's one of the biggest things with Epistos and uh, what I was talking about with the ease of keeping and stuff because uh, the ones, you know, some of your better beginner Epistos, they're going to be very tolerant of even um, slightly alkaline pHs. But on the whole, you, you want more acidic uh, water and soft water for Epistos. Now, Cockatoides and McMasteri and Agazizi and... There's, you know, I could list plenty of species off, but uh, they're they're uh, a little more tolerant. They can have 7.5 pH, or sometimes I've even heard of people keeping some up to eight, but I don't think they're very comfortable in that. Uh, the I I would usually say try and keep it neutral for the beginner epistos, and then there's some epistos that I keep. Um, uh, I could list off a couple like uh, Elizabethe and uh, Uapesi. And um, Abakaji, Abacaz- uh, which I'm keeping right now, and I keep all of them in a pH of four. So it, it's very, very acidic water, and they need that uh, pH of four to even breed successfully. That's good to know. Now, the uh, interesting thing about Epistos is they come from the same waters that Discus, Angelfish, Festivum, Walru, and Severum, to name a few. Can, uh, can you keep discus and angels with the pistols? Uh, yeah, you can. Uh, is uh, you know, it, it obviously it, it's always a, up to the temperament of the larger fish. If the if the angelfish and the discus are going to tolerate them, they will do fine. But uh, sometimes you get a real mean angelfish, in particular. Angelfish can they're not always angels. Uh, I guess <laughs> would be the pun to use. <laughs> but uh, you know, pistols can. They they usually they're they're shy but they can also stand their ground, so they're they're very uh very uh acclimating to other fish. Like I've I've kept I've kept the pistols even with fish small enough for them to eat, uh, and they they prefer not to. But then just like uh, any fish, sometimes you kind of get a, a jerk in the bunch, and they will eat other fish or they will bully other fish. So you know they can definitely be kept with them. It's just a trial and error type of thing and up to the temperament of each individual fish. That's good to know. So what are some uh, acceptable tank mates for epistogrammas other than a discus and the angelfish? Well, I, I think a lot of what, uh, the way they're kept most often, uh, what you're going to see most prevalently is just epistos, usually with some sort of a dither fish, like a tetra, um, some really cool fish to keep them with are uh, Splash Tetra. They're actually, 
uh, from the same biotope and same rivers as the pistos. And there are these little tetras. They like to lay their eggs on the underside of uh, leaves overhanging the water. So these fish actually jump out of the water and spawn on the bottom of leaves. And uh, the, the male likes to guard the, the, the eggs. Uh, he'll sit right under the leaf and guard them. And they're really, it's really cool to keep them with splash tetra because you get to observe both behaviors. But you also need to make sure you have a tight-fitting lid. Um, the splash tetra are actually in a family of uh, other tetras. They're, they're called, uh, I think it's lesibinae, which is like uh, pencil fish. So uh, a very popular tank mate would be the coral red pencils or the uh, purple pencils, which is Nanostomus mortenthaleri or Nanostomus rubrocaudatus, I believe. And those are some very, very popular and very beautiful tank mates. That's true. I personally think uh, a nice tank would be some nice uh, cockatoo epistogrammas and cardinal tetras. Oh yeah, cardinals. Cardinals are very nice. Uh, I also right now I'm keeping some uh, orange flash cockatoides with green neons, and I really am really really starting to like green neons a lot. I think they're really gorgeous. Nice. I haven't seen our green neons in years up here. They're very nice looking. Yep, they are probably. I'd say they're 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 one of the uh, out of the neons, you know, the the fish with the with the name neon. I would say probably green neons are definitely my favorite. I agree. So, what should you feed to the epistogram? Of other words, what is their diet? Um, they are what is called microvores, which means they eat uh, planktonic life and um, insects. Uh, insect larvae, anything small that may find its way into the water or living in the water, stuff like Daphnia, and that's what they eat in the wild. Um, they they also are in the same family, or is it family or order? I'm not sure. Uh, either way, they're 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 not that far uh, removed from Geophagus, and they like to dig a little bit. Um, so you'll find that they like to scavenge the bottom a lot so it's best to go with if you're going to feed them pellets you're going to want something that sinks and you're going to want something very very high in protein um because they they mainly intake almost all protein i actually feed uh, nothing but live and frozen foods to my fish uh strictly i don't feed any pellets or any uh, flakes or anything just because i try to mimic their diet as closely as possible um so I feed stuff like black worms, uh, mosquito larvae, uh, daphnia, mysis shrimp, brine shrimp, uh, all kinds of stuff like that. Sounds great. Sounds like all foods that uh, epistogrammas and the tank mates are going to like. Yep. Now, personally speaking, why would you recommend somebody to uh, get an epistogram if they've never had one before? Um, honestly, it, there's something really, really cool about epistogramma, which is the fact that they they have that cichlid mentality and that cichlid intelligence and personality. And, you know, you see it in the big cichlids, but you just, big cichlids, uh, like the red devils and stuff, you just, you can't keep them with other things. They, they eventually, 
eat it or beat it, you know? And um, the thing with Epistos is you get that really cool personality and intelligence, but it's in this nice little package. You can have a 20-gallon tank and keep an Episto, and you can have some uh, pretty little Tetras swimming around, or, you know, um, if you're into the blue eyes, you can have some of them, or... or um, Danios, stuff like that. You can keep them with your Epistos, so you can get the more common or the more uh, beautiful fish, and you don't have to worry about them being eaten or beaten to death. Yeah, that's very true. It happens a lot in the cichlid world where bigger cichlids dominate the others, and that's one of the reasons why I like dwarf cichlids is because they're not as aggressive as the other ones, and they can live with other fish. Yep. And they, you know, they still have their aggressive streak. You'll see it come out, but it's just, it's not going to be on the same scale as the bigger fish, you know. That's true. Now, are, are epistogrammas uh, schooling, or can they be kept singly as well? Um, the, the best thing to do with epistogramma is you want to keep usually just one male with a, a female or several females. Um what I usually recommend is a 12-inch by 12-inch area uh, is required for every fish. So say you have two epistogramma, you need at least a 24-inch by 12-inch area. So uh, if you had a 55-gallon, that's 48, so you could have four fish in there, uh, epistogramma, I mean, because they do need their space. They do get, uh, you know, fairly aggressive with each other. They're only uh, conspecifically aggressive, so they're only going to go after each other or things that look similar to them. So, uh, and as far as males is concerned, um, you can do all male tanks, but that's more of a, a it, it's kind of hit or miss with you uh, with all males. But if you go with a, a if you want to try start adding uh, more than one male and you have females in the tank, I really recommend at least a four foot tank because they can get pretty pretty nasty with each other. My last question for you is, I haven't seen any epistogrammas around my area that seem to be rare up here, but where can people get epistogrammas? Well, I do sell and breed epistos. Um, I'm really kind of easing back because I've been overworking myself for quite a few years now between working a full-time job, uh, you know, breeding in uh, 40 or so tanks, and I've just been doing way too much, and I'm trying to back off myself now. So the best way to find uh, Epistos now would be online. Um, you know, there's – you can check uh, – we have an Epistogramma group that I'm a admin on called Epistogramma International – and uh, there's a trading page there, so you can find people, uh, other breeders selling their own Epistos. And you can also just go into your local store and say, hey, I, I know I want this species of Episto, and ask them to bring it in. A lot of times, uh, a lot of times, Seagrass has lots of different species of Epistos. And um, they also, I think, Wet Spot imports quite a lot, too. So the only problem I have with wet spot is they won't guarantee the sexes, and that's really something that I, I don't feel comfortable unless I'm ordering a, a large number of fish that I'm going to pick out some and sell the rest. I don't like to order from wet spot without a 
guaranteed sex. But um, yeah, I mean, there's lots of lots of ways you can get a hold of them. Very good to hear. Now, if, if one of our listeners has have any questions on epistogrammas, how can they reach you? Um, you can message me at uh, thecyclicgarden at gmail dot com. Uh, I also have a Facebook page uh, where I have some of my. I actually have a shop on my Facebook page, which is uh, facebook dot com slash thecyclicgarden. And uh, you can look what I have for sale there. You can message me through there, and I probably have some more stuff for sale. Uh, you know, as I'm slowly clearing out tanks, I'm selling off some of my own personal fish as well. So, um, you know, I, I'm I'm trying to close down a lot of my own tanks just to make ease of maintenance a little bit better. But um, yeah, you can reach me in Gmail or uh, through Facebook. That sounds great. I want to thank you for joining the Aquatic Wetline tonight and uh, chatting with us about Epistogramma. I really learned a lot, and I had a lot of fun having you on. Well, thank you. I I, uh, I enjoyed being on as well. We'll have you on again sometime to talk about Epistogrammas on a, a more lengthy conversation, if that's okay with you. Yeah, that sounds good. Maybe next time we can get into some more uh, advanced topics or some more you know, detail, like treat, treat this as a broad overview and then we delve into the specifics next time. Yeah, that's true because I seem to have a lot of listeners that have dwarf cichlids and because I had a lot of requests to talk about a pistogramma, so I think you'll be the aquatic wetline epistogramma guy. It sounds good to me. I love talking about them. Me too. You have a good night, sir, and thank you so much for being here. I had a blast. Thank you very much for having me. It was a lot of fun. You're welcome. You have a good night now. You too. Perfect. Your Fish Stuff freeze-dried krill. Yourfishstuff.com are quite proud of their freeze-dried krill, as it is some of the finest krill you'll ever see. Freshly dried and packed, it comes straight to your door. It is one of YourFishStuff.com's most popular fish food, and for good reason, as our freeze-dried krill has unique nutritional qualities that make it a perfect food for many tropical fish. An excellent source of nutritional acetoxin will bring out the natural colors of your fish and its high protein lipid and mineral content promote good health and conditioning harvested from the clean cool waters of Antarctica and dried here in the United States of America you will not find a higher quality krill all types of fish enjoy krill, from freshwater to saltwater, cichlids to koi. This Antarctica Ocean relative of the shrimp is a crustacean, which is a part of many fish's natural diet. It can be taken whole by larger fish or crushed by hand for smaller fish. YourFishStuff.com is proud to provide fish keepers with quality freeze-dried 
prices. A quarter of a pound of freeze-dried krill, $9.99. A half pound is $17.99. One pound is $34.99. Two pounds is $67.99. And five pounds is $159.99. You can find the freeze-dried krill in the freeze-dried food section of yourfishstuff.com or simply go to www.yourfishstuff.com forward slash freeze-dried krill. Alright, so my question to all of you fish keepers. Are you feeling the mania? Are you feeling the tropical fish mania? I sure hope so. We're already an hour and 20 minutes into the very first Tropical Fish Mania, and I'm very excited for tonight's show. This is going to be a yearly show, and I love our very first one. Right now, I'm going to take a quick intermission. Now, during tonight's intermission, you're going to hear two songs. One of them is this year's theme song, for Tropical Fish Mania, and that's Big Time from um, Peter Gabriel. And then the next song you're going to hear is My House. And after the songs, there's going to be a few infomercials. This is to relax our minds from all the great action, great action so far and get you ready for the main event, which is going to feature plenty of fish chat and more. So, coming up next here on Tropical Fish Mania, I have a discussion on glowfish. I have a never-heard-before Aquarium Max interview where I was a guest on a podcast called Aquarium Max, and we have our fatal four-way elimination match, and we'll find out which fish is going to walk out as the very first Aquatic Wetline Tropical Fish Champion and the fish of the year. So stick around for Glowfish Chat and also um, find out about which fish leaves the champion next. Hi there.
hear a knock on the door and the night begins. Cause we've done this before, so you come on in. Make yourself at my home, tell me where you been. Pour yourself something cold, baby, cheers to do. Sometimes you gotta stay in. And you know where I live. Yeah, you know what we is. Sometimes you gotta stay in. Wetline is looking for our first eight contestants for Aquatic Wetline's Aquatic Trivia Fish Game. Do you want to be a part of the first fish keeping trivia game? It's simple. The first eight fish keepers to send an email to aquaticwetline at outlook.com with the title AW Trivia will be the contestants. In your email, please describe yourself, your fish tanks, and your favorite fish and the career and location you live. You'll have to be available on April 15th from 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Mountain, and 6 p.m. Pacific. And you'll be on the show for an hour to two hours. So, would you like to be on the very first Aquatic Wetland Aquatic Trivia game where the first prize 
is sponsored by YourFishStuff.com, and the second prize is sponsored by Aquatic Wetline and Aqua Alex. So, there's a chance you can win a prize. So make sure you email AquaticWetline at Outlook.com and become one of the eight contestants. Aquatic Wetline is brought to you by YourFishStuff.com. YourFishStuff.com provides hobbyists with quality homemade fish food and aquarium supplies. The Your Fish Stuff difference. Buy direct and save. Buy direct from Your Fish Stuff. No middleman, no food masses produced by large corporations, no food sitting around in warehouses. Just fresh, healthy food from Your Fish Stuff to you. Quality ingredients like fish meal, shrimp, squid, kelp, Perlina and Corella Allergy. Doesn't cloud water. And all of their fish food is made fresh, crafted in small batches, hobbyists owned and operated. And all of their fish food is made right here in the good old US of A. So check out yourfishstuff.com for quality fish food and aquarium equipment such as nets, filters, medications and more that's www.yourfishstuff.com a proud sponsor of aquatic wetline hey yeah this is the aquatic wetline a tropical fish keeping show brought to you by aqua alex in springfield massachusetts let's get back to the tropical fish chat right now <laughs> Tropical Fish Mania, 
here on Aquatic Wetline. Hope you guys are enjoying tonight's show and are ready for some more awesome action here on Tropical Fish Mania, including our main event, the Fatal 4-Way Elimination Match to crown our very first Aquatic Wetline Tropical Fish Champion in the Fish of 2017. Now, let's get right back into the action where I'm going to chat about Glowfish, and then I'm going to share with you the never-before-aired the never interview that I was on or that I was a guest on Aquarium Max. It was never before shared here on Aquatic Wetline, and that takes place tonight. You'll hear me uh, being a guest on someone else's podcast tonight. But right now, let's get back into our fish discussion. And we're going to talk about glowfish right now. One of the biggest trends in the aquarium hobby for quite some time is the glowfish. Many people assume that glowfish are similar to the painted tetras and parrotfish, but they are not. They are a totally different thing. They are not hybridized or injected with color that they'll eventually lose like other of the fish that are out there. Glowfish have become a very controversial topic. Let's discuss the history of glowfish and how they came to be. In 1999, Dr. Gong and his colleagues at the National University of Singapore were working with a gene that encodes the green fluorescent protein originally extracted from a jellyfish that naturally produced bright green fluorescence. They inserted the gene into a zebrafish embryo, allowing it to integrate into the zebrafish's genine, which caused the fish to be brightly fluorescent under both natural white light and ultraviolet light. Their goal was to develop a fish that could detect pollution by selectively fluorescing in the presence of environmental toxins. The development of the continual fluorescing fish was the first step in this process, and the National University of Singapore filed a patent application on this work. Shortly thereafter, his team developed a line of red fluorescent zebrafish by adding a gene from a sea coral and orange-yellow fluorescent zebrafish by adding a variant of the jellyfish gene. To answer perhaps the biggest controversial question, glowfish are not man-made, nor they are not injected on the fish's scales like with parrot cichlids and dyed fish. They are inserted in their genes, and they will retain their color all throughout their lives, unlike the dyed fish. That is why the prices are so high nowadays. Glowfish were introduced to the United States in late 2003 by Yorktown Technologies after two years of research. The government environmental risk assessment was made by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, which has jurisdiction over all genetically modified animals including glowfish, since they consider the inserted gene to be a drug. The FDA determined in December of 2003, because tropical aquarium fish 
are not used for food purposes. They pose no threat to the food supply. There is no evidence that these genetically engineered zebra daniel fish or tetras or barbs pose any more threat to the environment than their unmodified counterparts, which have long been widely sold in the United States of America. In 2012, Yorktown Technologies introduced a new variety of electric green glowfish, and that was the tetra. This was soon followed by the electric green tiger bar, which is a variety of a tiger bar. And in 2013, they introduced a sunburst orange tetra and a, maroon, a moonrise pink tetra, the first fluorescent pink fish to be marketed. And, of course, in 2014, there was a release of a starfire red and a cosmic blue tetra. So the next time you go to judge a glowfish as a man-made or dyed fish, remember that they are not. They are the traditional fish that has the color gene from corals and jellyfish inserted into the genes, and they are born and will live their whole lives with that color. So basically they're like a uh, saltwater color fish living in fresh water. And I know people are going to hate me for this, but I actually like and support glowfish in the aquarium hobby because they're really not doing anything wrong to the hobby. They're not hybrids that are going to lose colors or anything like that. They're actually a perfect beginner fish, and they have a lot of color. So personally speaking, as a fish guru and someone that loves the fish hobby, I don't see anything particularly wrong with glowfish. So here is what glowfish promotes. Glowfish are born brilliant. They are not injected or dyed. They inherit their harmless, lifelong color from their parents and require the same care as any other community fish. They are great for any home, office, or classroom and are perfect for hobbyists and beginners alike. They're very similar to other fish, except they have a, mu a much brighter disposition. And they're available in six colors, starfire red, electric green, sunburst orange, cosmic blue, galaxy purple, and moonrise pink. Now, how common are fluorescent fish in nature? Fluorescent fish are very common in nature. In fact, a recent study conducted by the American Museum of Natural History found more than 180 species of fish that are naturally fluorescent under blue light. Fluorescent fish can be observed expressing vibrant green, red, and orange fluorescent patterns across a very diverse range of species, including more than 50 families. Are glowfish dyed, injected, or individually altered? No, they are born beautifully. Glowfish, Florence fish, are traditionally bred. They are not dyed, injected, or individually altered in any way. Their unique color is a trait that is passed from generation to generation, just like any other genetic trait. So we'll talk more about glowfish when I have a very special guest from the Glowfish Company on Aquatic Wetline. We'll have more information on glowfish later on this year. So respect the glowfish, and why not add some to your aquarium?
your fish stuff free. Your fish stuff freeze dried brine shrimp. Large cubed brine shrimp that can be broken into smaller sized chunks. Brine shrimp pressed into a cube shaped tree. Large fish can devour it whole, while small fish can pick it apart. Make additional fish for breeding. High quality foods are a must. Brine shrimp is an excellent conditioning food, as well as a perfect treat for any fish, freshwater, or salt water. YourFishStuff.com is proud to present to you the aquarium hobbyist, quality, freeze-dried brine shrimp prices. A quarter of a pound is $10.99, a half pound is $20.99, one pound is $39.99, two pounds is $74.99, and five pounds is $182.99. To see the freeze-dried brine shrimp and all the other freeze-dried fish foods available, go to yourfishstuff.com forward slash freeze-dried or to simply purchase or purchase a freeze-dried brine shrimp, go to yourfishstuff.com forward slash freeze-dried brine shrimp. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the never-before-aired segment here on Aquatic Wetline. Back in March of 2016, one month after I suffered a whole uh, crash of my 120-gallon saltwater tank, I was invited to uh, be a part of a fish-keeping podcast called Aquarium Max with Russ and his wife. And I really enjoyed being on that show. It was a great honor of mine. And I would like to uh, publicly air the interview here on tonight's episode of Tropical Fish Mania. So enjoy it, guys. And I'd like to remind you that it looks like after this clip is over, the Fatal 4-Way main event will be in the archive section of today's show. So if you're listening live... You probably won't be able to hear the Fatal 4-Way, but have no fear. You can hear it when the show archives, so probably about 12.15 a.m. Eastern or 11.15 p.m. Central, you'll be able to hear the Fatal 4-Way. Anyway, let's get on with today's show. Hi, I'm glad to be here on Aquarium Max, the podcast. I am really honored, and I want to thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for joining us on our show. We had a lot of fun talking to you on your show, so I thought we'd uh, reciprocate. Yeah, I loved having you on my show, and I'm very happy to be a guest here on your show. I've been listening to your show since our interview, and you guys do a fantastic job. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. we are we're really excited to have you on and kind of spread the word about your podcast. Um we we'd like to kind of start out by um talking more about you know, a little bit about you and your aquariums and so on and then move on more to your podcast and your other uh aquarium related uh projects that you've been working on. So 
Can we ask you just uh, briefly to introduce yourself and tell us how you became interested in the fishkeeping hobby? Sure. My name is Alice Cardinelli. I am 22 years old, and I'm currently living in Springfield, Massachusetts. And I first entered the tropical fishkeeping world when I was 13 years old. But I like to tell people that I was born in the fish hobby because way before I was born, my dad was keeping aquariums. And I think it was just natural for me to enter the hobby. I grew up watching my dad have some awesome freshwater tanks with Oscars and the monster fish and things like that. And then at 13, I started getting more and more interested. I, I started researching, and uh, I got my first tank, which was a 55-gallon aquarium. And, of course, since I was a newbie at the time, I got some fish that were way too big for the 55. I think I got, like, an Oscar, uh, Paku, Red Devil, and a Pleco, if I remember correctly. But, of course, my dad, being an experienced fish keeper, knew that those fish were too big for my aquarium, so I had to bring almost everyone back except for the uh, Oscar and Pleco. And at the time, I didn't think that this was going to be something that I really enjoyed, but as the years moved on, I gained more and more interest in the fish hobby. And I had to say I spent about 10 or 11 years in freshwater, and now currently I have uh, finally ventured into the world of saltwater. I have a 29-gallon quarantine tank for my saltwater tank, and I have a 120-gallon fish-only with live rock tank that is currently empty right now because I had a big marine velvet outbreak, and it basically killed all of my fish except for a snowflake eel. So I think I have to go fallow for a few months, which means no fish in it so that the parasite can die. Um, but I do have my 29-gallon quarantine tank up, and I have some fish coming in from Blue Zoo Aquatics tomorrow, and that's going to be uh, pretty exciting. I've got a fox face coming in, a gold stripe maroon coming in, and uh, some other nice fish, so I'm very excited about that. And definitely I will uh, quarantine them. For all of our listeners out there, I think quarantine is important. I think the only reason I got velvet in my aquarium is because I didn't quarantine. Uh, I agree. Uh, quarantine can uh, solve a lot of problems before they start. Definitely true. I'm definitely going to recommend everyone out there to quarantine any fish, coral or invert you get, especially the fish. The fish tend to have more diseases. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. You know, uh, sorry to hear that uh, you had a velvet outbreak. It's awful when things like that happen. Um, what did you have in there before the velvet outbreak? You said you still have a snowflake eel, but um, other than that, what did you have in the tank? I had a uh, very beautiful gold striped maroon. I had a uh, one-spot fox face, a yellow tang, a blue hippo tang, a bursa trigger, and a blue jaw trigger, I believe. I think that's it. Oh, yeah, I also had a melanoris wrasse. That's everything now. I'm getting actually getting a gold striped maroon and a fox face tomorrow to replace the ones that I lost. Yeah, that's, that is uh, good to hear that you're still um, getting back into it, even though, uh, you know, you get a setback, but you're not letting it get you down too much. And 
continue. Yeah, if you do that, then you're going to lose interest in the hobby. Every once in a while, a fish will die, but you just have to keep your head up and uh, start over. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, do you have a favorite of the uh, saltwater fish that you have kept so far? Yes, I would say I have two. The first favorite is the fox face, rabbit fish, which is a very popular saltwater fish, believe it or not. It's a uh, herbivore, meaning that it eats algae, but the difference between a fox face and a tang is that a fox face will also eat meaty foods and do just fine. So that's what I like about the fox face. And my second favorite fish in the saltwater hobby would be a gold stripe maroon clown. They look very similar to the normal maroons, with the exception that their bars are actually a deep gold color instead of a white color, and they usually go for about twice amount, twice the amount of money compared to a uh, white striped maroon, but that's okay because the color is beautiful. Now, if you're going to ask me my favorite invertebrate in saltwater, I would tell you a fire shrimp. Oh, those are beautiful. Yeah, yeah, they're I, very nice. Yeah. Unfortunately, I can't have one right now because I'm getting a nitro trigger tomorrow, but definitely I will have one in my reef tank. Oh, yeah. So you're going to set up a reef tank eventually? Yes. Nice. Yeah, I had, uh, I've had a reef tank in the past, a, a very small reef, a 10-gallon reef. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I enjoyed that a lot, but uh don't currently have saltwater right now, but I did have uh, not... Uh, not a fire shrimp. What did I have? I have peppermint shrimp. Those were a lot of fun, too. Yeah, those um, are pretty cool. They remind me of the miniature uh, freshwater shrimps. Right, right. They're, they're kind of similar in some ways. I had a question for you about the the gold-striped maroon clown. Is that a morph, or is that a like a, a naturally occurring type, or just a captive-bred morph? It's actually a, a natural... Uh, morph. I know it sounds kind of uh, strange, but it's actually pretty natural. Um, although they are kind of hard to get naturally, so there are captive bred versions out there too. Um, and generally, they are a lot less cheaper and hardier than the uh, natural ones. Uh, I know ORA has uh, natural. Um, gold striped maroons, and they also have the commercial ones. Um, they actually uh, make different kinds of gold maroons too for captive bred. They have a gold dot maroon and a, a couple others, but they do have natural ones and uh, captive bred ones. Oh, okay. Is there a particular locality that they collect the, the gold striped ones in, the wild caught ones? Uh, I think so. I think they're from a different part of the uh, world uh, where the other, the normal ones are, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've noticed in the past few years a lot more uh, different types of clownfish showing up. Like you'll see the black and white ones or the ones with irregular stripes or uh, things like that. It's just they seem a lot more common in stores than uh, they once were. Yeah, that's very true. There's a lot of many different uh, clownfish out there. There seems to be a lot of uh, what I call designer clowns, which are captive-bred clowns, um, like the black ice clown, the snowflake clown. Those are all done by ORA, and they're done to, to sort of make profit, 
because they're they're trying to get kids to say that's a nice clown fish and and buy them. I prefer the natural clowns. Not a big fan of the uh, designer ones, but I don't think there's anything wrong with them. I just think it's a little bit too much money for a regular clownfish. Mm-hmm. So it's just up to personal preference, mostly, and cost. Yeah. Just for example, I know the lightning maroon clown goes for about 300 to $500 for a two-inch fish. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, a lot of money when you can get a regular maroon for about 30 Right, yeah, definitely. So, Alex, I've got a question for you about uh, your dream tank. If you could set up at a tank and not have to worry about space or money, what would you do? What would your tank be like? Oh, very, very tough question. Hmm. Well, can I do one for freshwater and one for saltwater? That would be perfect. All right, so I'll start with uh, freshwater because that's been my longest possession, but I love both of them. So in my freshwater tank, I would do uh, freshwater stingrays, the Matoro stingrays. I'd also do uh, some Altum Angels, some Discus, some large Rominose Tetras, and maybe a Silver Arowana. That would be a piece of the Amazon. Now in my saltwater tank, I would definitely have many different species of uh, fox face, maybe some one spots, some magnificent, some bicolor. I would do uh, schools of look downs. They are a pretty cool saltwater fish. I definitely have some blue hippo tangs, some naso tangs, blonde naso tangs, uh, unicorn tangs that have uh, many different kinds of triggers. I probably have some Niger triggers, pink tail triggers. I'd have a uh, Maybe a clown's one clown trigger, a couple of groupers, and to end it all, I'd have a a small uh, saltwater dragon eel. Watch that thing grow. Those uh, Asian dragon eels in saltwater are very beautiful. Hmm. Now, what is a dragon eel? Can you tell me a little bit more about that? It's actually a uh, a type of moray eel, usually found in China or India. It's a very very expensive fish. And uh, usually, it is either sold to a public aquarium, or you can get them online from places like Blue View Aquatics or uh, Live Aquaria, but they are kind of costly. And the reason for that is they are extremely rare, and when you do come into importers, they are collected from the wild. So they have to go through quarantine, and they have to get used to captive bred conditions. Um, but if you are able to get your hands on one, it's a very beautiful fish, and uh, I like the personality that that eel brings. Um, it's a little bit of a different species than, say, a snowflake eel or a chain link eel. It actually uh, is a moray eel, but it has a different appearance, and it gets a little bit bigger, if I'm not mistaken. Um, a very, very nice fish. Okay, now that you mentioned that, yeah, that it's a type of Morio, I think I'm getting kind of a picture. They have some, aren't some of them very colorful? Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah I think that's the one I'm thinking of then. Cool, yeah, I can't blame you. I, I find all Moray eels fascinating. They seem to be, uh, like they have a lot of personality from what I have seen. As well as yeah, the they're really popular in the saltwater hobby. They actually have uh, 
a good personality. Sometimes they can be very active, and they like to eat from your hands, although I wouldn't recommend it if you were a newbie because you might get bit. But I actually use tongs when I feed my uh, snowflake eel. They have a very powerful jaw, and uh, they don't have a really good uh, sight. They just go by their scent, so they might mistake your hand for food and bite you. But mm. I've been uh, bitten by uh, eels in freshwater. I can guarantee you a moray eel bite is going to be much different. <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. They, the um, tongs seem like a very good idea. Yeah. But so far, my uh, my snowflake eel notices the metal tongs somehow, so he just uh, comes up right to the food and takes it. Ah, so, demonstrating some intelligence, too. Yeah, very, very cool. <laughs> so, uh, you mentioned that the snowflake eel was the only fish that survived the uh, the velvet outbreak. Is that due to something in the constitution of snowflake eels, like moray eels are less susceptible to it, or is there some other factor involved, or is it just random? Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. I probably would say it's random, but I've been researching eels quite a bit uh, this past couple of weeks, and it says that they are extremely disease-resistant because they don't have scales like other fish. They have a slime coat, that protects them, and again, I'm just guessing that. It's not 100% scientifically proven, but if I were to guess, I would say it's because of the slime coat that they have on them, or it could just be a really extremely hardy fish. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, and it does make sense that if they have a kind of an extra slime coat, um, maybe a, a thicker one or a more frequently renewed one, that it would be harder for parasites to get a hold, at least certain parasites, to get a hold on them. That makes sense. I'm happy he's alive. I would have died if if he died too. <laughs> oh yeah, those snowflake eels are amazing. They're they're beautiful. I remember running into a few of them in the wild in Hawaii, and they were very beautiful fish. Oh nice! I'd love to move to Hawaii. It, it's a a fun place to live, but uh, it's it can be difficult. It can be challenging. But I would say that uh, I miss snorkeling all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I know the culture is very different down there. Yeah, yeah, and we we met lots of great people there, but it is a different culture. It takes an adjustment, so yeah, it's it can be challenging for someone who's not from there to kind of learn the ropes. Well, um, I would like to ask you also, what do you find most rewarding about aquarium keeping? Hmm. I think the most rewarding part about aquarium keeping is actually seeing your fish thrive and seeing them grow to their potential. And you can do that by providing them a very good diet. I like to say that people should vary the food they give their fish. Like one day you can give them a meaty treat, the next day a... uh, vegetarian treat, and give them foods that they would normally eat in the wild or have access to in the wild. And I I have found that the more water changes you do, like maybe 10 or 20% every other day, chances are your fish are going to grow a lot quicker. That worked 
on the freshwater end in the hobby for me. However, on the saltwater end, it would be pretty costly to do that many water changes, but I would say a good weekly water change would help your fish grow. And uh, it's really rewarding to see your fish grow, their colors develop. That's the time when you can pull out your camera and start taking pictures and posting them on your Facebook or even on fish forums. I really recommend to all of our fish keeping listeners to join a fish forum or some Facebook fish groups. You can chat with other fish keepers and gain a lot of knowledge. A lot of the knowledge I have is actually through other people and what I've learned from the forum and on the Facebook groups. Your fish stuff, black worm flakes. Black worm flakes are a special flake food made to please. Any good fish breeder will tell you that black worms are terrific for bringing any fish into good spawning conditions. Fantastic and fresh. Compare our ingredients and see the difference in your fish and the clarity of your aquarium water. We don't use low-cost fillers that just contribute to higher maintenance time and cost. Better quality food will save you time, effort, and money in the long run. Your fish will look fantastic, your water will be cleaner, and you will not have to clean or place your filter pads as often. All of our foods are made in small batches of 100 pounds or less and manufactured in USA using high quality ingredients grown and processed in the United States of America. This process results in very fresh and large flakes with no preservatives, no small powder flakes that clog your filters. High quality fresh large flakes your fish are sure to love. Prices for a quarter of a pound, $6.99, half a pound, $9.99, one pound, $16.99, two pounds, $27.99, and five pounds, $66.99. To find the black worm flakes, other flakes like tropical flakes, brine shrimp flakes, and krill flakes, go to yourfishstuff.com forward slash flake foods. time of the show that we've all been waiting for. It's the main event. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. The following tropical fish match is a fatal four-way elimination match. Once a fish is knocked out he is eliminated. The last man standing will be declared the winner and therefore will be the very first aquatic wetline tropical fish of the year and the aquatic wetline fish champion. Alright ladies and gentlemen, it's the aquatic wetline tropical fish mania main event. A fatal four-way fish elimination match. 
here we are. Four fish enter, only one walks out as the inaugural Tropical Fish Mania champion. The winner will also receive a show dedicated to their species. So, who wins? Titan Trigger makes his way to the Squared Circle Aquarium, looking as tough as ever and boosting with ego and confidence after destroying and knocking out a black rhombus piranha the same size. Jaguar Sickwit makes his way to the aquarium. He is not playing around. He points at the Fish Mania logo above the aquarium and then points at the Fish Championship belt with shrimp and other goodies for the winner. Oscar Sickwit makes his way to the aquarium while eating some guppies, ghost shrimp, and danios. He loudly states, this is my tank. Stand in my way and I will eat you. Last but not least, out comes the Vaunton Lionfish, all decorated and ready for a fight. He says he is the sexiest fish in this fight and is prepared to sting all three of you to walk out as the new and first Tropical Fish Mania champion. The battle begins. At first, no one fights. Then, the Jaguar, Oscar, and Lionfish are seen chatting in the corner of the Squared Circle Aquarium. They devise a plan to sneak attack the Titan Trigger. They quietly and quickly swim under the rockwork and get to the Titan Trigger's hiding place. They begin nipping and biting the Trigger, getting him aggravated, but he wedged himself in the rock before the fight to rest. So he's unable to get out of the rock due to his large size. Then the lionfish uses his poisonous spines to his advantage, stinging the triggerfish five times before the triggerfish comes out of the rockwork, only for the large rock to come crashing down and knocking out the trigger. The Titan Trigger has been eliminated. The Oscar and Jaguar try to double-team the lionfish, but the lionfish fits his body between the filter and hang-on-back protein skimmer. Meanwhile, the Jaguar turns on the Oscar, and they are lip-locking and fighting. Both become fatigued from fighting and from the salt. So far, no one submits, but they both have cuts, wounds, and contusions. Out of nowhere, the lionfish reemerges and first stings the Oscar three times, knocking him out and eliminating him. The Oscar cichlid has been eliminated. Then the lionfish quickly strikes the jaguar cichlid two times, but the jaguar does not go down. The lionfish swings his biggest fin, but the jaguar attempts to bite it to tear it off, not realizing it's to- toxic. He burns his mouth. The lionfish takes two more heavy, fatal blows with his venomous spines, and a jaguar goes down. The jaguar cichlid has been eliminated. Your winner is the Vaunton Lionfish. The Vaunton Lionfish wins the fatal four-way elimination match. The Vaunton Lionfish is now the very first aquatic wetline tropical fish champion and the Tropical Fish of 2017. While celebrating his win, he picks up a microphone and says, never underestimate lionfish. 
Our fins and spines can do a lot of damage. We do not want to hurt you, but we are not afraid to use them for defense. Remember, we are ambush predators. As the other three fish found out, I don't play when it comes to fighting. Let this be a reminder to you humans who watched this fight that the next time you see us at the Florida beaches or in your local fish store or in our homeland, do not touch us, do not stress us, and most, and most importantly, do not piss us off or you too will fall to the king, the king of kings, the Valentin Lionfish. Now, since I am champion, I want to make the month of April Valentin Lionfish Month. Everybody who has saltwater should go and get a lionfish. Just remember, we get huge, 12 inches. Please make sure to have a big tank for us. My friend Aqua Alex will post quick facts daily on lionfish on both of his Aquatic Wetline Facebook accounts. That's the Aquatic Wetline Fishkeeping Online podcast page and the Aquatic Wetline Facebook account. I'll be posting daily facts all of next week for the Valentin lionfish and the other lionfish species. And that's going to start on Tuesday of next week. So congratulations to the Valentin lionfish for walking out the very first Aquatic Wetline Tropical Fish Champion and the fish of 2017. So congratulations to the lionfish. Once again, before I end the show, please let me remind you that the fish versus fish battles and the fetal four-way elimination match were all fake and fictional and were made for entertainment. No actual fish were used. Man, this was a great debut for Tropical Fish Mania. I really, really enjoyed it, and I cannot wait to uh, have this show become a yearly fixture. This was a great show, and I'm very, very proud of what we accomplished tonight here on Aquatic Wetline. This was a great debut, and I had a lot of fun tonight. I'd like to thank Christopher Bonez from School of Fish, Inc., for being our first guest tonight. He had a great interview. I would like to thank um, Epistogramma Cichlid Keeper, lover and expert, William Garden, for being a guest here tonight on Aquatic Wetline. I also would like to thank everybody for tuning in to tonight's show here on Aquatic Wetline. And I'd also like to thank YourFishStuff.com for promoting and sponsoring Tropical Fish Mania 1. Thank you, YourFishStuff.com, for sponsoring the very first Tropical Fish Mania. And now, ladies and gentlemen, next Saturday at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Mountain, and 6 p.m. Pacific, we're going to be airing our trivia game. We have seven contestants and two prizes. Make sure you check out the trivia game next Saturday at 9 p.m. Eastern. Aquatic Wetline and Tropical Fish Mania will rise in 2018. Saturday, April 14, 2018, Aquatic Wetline presents Tropical Fish Mania 2. Which fishkeeping superstars will be on Tropical Fish Mania 2 to talk about the fish they love? 
Rich Fish will become the second Tropical Fish Champion on Aquatic Wetline. Plus, will Tropical Fish Mania 2 be broadcast live on location from somewhere? Find out next year as Tropical Fish Mania 2 takes place Saturday, April 14th, 2018 at 9 p.m. Eastern. Bang, bang. Good night, everyone.